Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. First Corinthians chapter 15. We know this is a year of winning and victory. We are expecting unprecedented victory this year. Anybody else expecting unprecedented victory this year? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, one of our text scriptures for this series. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One of the things we've said in this series so far is that thanks be to God, which gives us a victory, which lets you know victory is a gift. Say victory is a gift. So when you think about whatever you need victory in your life today, victory is a gift. Now, how do we receive gifts from God? By faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's go there for a second. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I want to lay this foundation again for where we're going today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, grace, when you look at it in the New Testament alone, has over 21 different definitions. To make sure that you apply the right definition of grace to the Scripture, you let the Scripture define itself. And so for this part here, this word grace means gift. It is the gift of God. So you are saved by grace through faith. That word through means the channel or the doorway of. The channel or the doorway of. So you're saved by grace, but you got that grace by faith. And so let's, I used this example before. So let's pretend your favorite car, whatever it is, is behind that door. I'm not talking about the one that you just buy so you stay within your budget. I'm talking about your dream car. Fully loaded. That all you have to do is walk through those doors and it's the keys are waiting for you. They've already paid all your insurance and taken care of gas money for years. It's right through those doors, right? So you can think of a dream car as easy six figures, right? So what's more expensive, the doors or the car? See, you can't get to the car unless you go through the doors. So there's only one way to get the car is to go through the doors. Now, how many would say the doors are worth more than the car? How many say the car is worth more than the doors? Yeah, these doors, maybe a couple hundred dollars. The car, easily six figures. The car is grace, the door is faith. The only way you get grace is through the door of faith. Victory is a gift. The only way you get victory is through the door of faith. So whatever victory you need in your life has to come through the doorway of faith. The scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not having heard once or having heard 10 years ago. It's continually hearing the word of God. As you continually hear the word of God, faith builds in your heart. So if there's a specific challenge you're facing today or facing this week, that means you need to get in the word of God concerning whatever you're facing. Why? Faith builds in your heart so you can get the grace. You can get the victory. Victory is a gift. 
and we receive gifts from God by faith through the doorway or the channel of faith. And so one of the things that some people have, you know, they say, well, God will bless me because I have enough faith. No, no, no. God will bless you because he loves you. God gives you the victory because he loves you. The channel or the doorway of faith determines how much victory can get into your life. It's not about how much God loves you. It's about how wide have you opened the door. And so let's picture faith as a highway. Now, you could have a one-street lane of faith, or you could have a six-lane highway of faith. How many know if you got a one-line, one-way, it's going to be a lot of traffic backed up? But if it's six ways, a lot more cars can go through. It's the same way with faith. If you want more grace to hit your life, expand your faith. See, God does all these things because he loves you. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. God wants you to be victorious more than you want to be victorious. And so God has his part, but we have our part. Our part, one of our parts, is to expand our faith and believe what God said about it. So victory is a gift. And whatever you save by, you live by. We're saved by grace through faith, so we are to live by grace through faith. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Another text scripture for the series. Just laying the foundation here. For those of you who are new here or new watching online, one of the things you'll learn about us, we are a Bible teaching church. So we don't just give you one scripture. We'll give you scripture after scripture after scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. One of the ways my pastor and mentor trained me is present the message like you're a lawyer in a courtroom. Because one of the things also we say here very often is you're not under any obligation to receive a word from a preacher just because they're a preacher. If they can't prove it to you from the word of God, you don't have to take it. You don't have to receive it. And so one of the things we do in the messages on Sundays and Wednesdays and through Faith Bible Institute and other things we do is help you understand the context of the scripture. Because if you take a scripture out of context, what do you do? You take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. And so we are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And so one of the things you'll see, me or the team here, we'll go line upon line and precept upon precept so that your faith is in the wisdom of God, not the philosophy of men. That your faith is in the word of God, not somebody's opinion. Come on, everybody's got an opinion. You know, my mentor says it this way, opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them. So we need to make sure our faith is in the word of God. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, as we've covered in this series so far, fight the good fight of faith. Now, he could have just said fight in faith, and we'd get the point. But if he has to say fight so quickly, two times in one phrase, what is the emphasis of that phrase? Fight. The emphasis is not even faith, even though we know how important faith is. The emphasis is fight, which lets you know in this life you're going to have to fight. Even when you're saved, even though you're born again, you're going to have to fight in this life. Fight the good fight of faith. As we said, this word fight means to enter a contest, to contend in the gymnastic games, speaking of those games in Rome and in Greece. To contend with adversaries, to fight. Metaphorically, it means to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers. So how do I contend with the difficulties and dangers of life? By faith. It means to endeavor with strenuous zeal, to strive, to obtain something. Notice, because of the second word fight so closely, it's the same word in the Greek, so they both have the same Greek word for fight. The New Testament was written in the Greek. The same word 
used to fight is the same as the first of the verse. It conveys the idea of one who has given his complete concentration to the conflict and is totally focused on engaging the conflict at hand and achieving victory, regardless how long it takes or how much agonizing effort is required. It is the picture of total commitment to victory. It is the picture of total commitment to victory. So we're going out to fight the good fight of faith. That means we have to be totally committed to victory. So this is, life is not like the, you know, the 12 and under games where, okay, we may have lost badly, but if the snack is good, we're okay. That if the snack is really good, that the team mom or dad brought, we'll forget how bad we lost. That's not life. No, we have to be totally committed to victory. And one of the things we talked about this total commitment and fighting the good fight of faith takes technique and strength. That if I'm going to win, I need technique and I need strength. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We won't get too much into those two words, but we covered those in the previous weeks. So you can go on YouTube or the Faith Plus app and watch those. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As we said, this word be strong, this phrase be strong means to be infused with strength. They use this in mythical writings to describe people like Hercules who were empowered by the Greek and Romans gods to do supernatural strength. And so what would happen is Hercules was empowered to do more things than the natural person can do, right? We know the story. You don't have to know the Greek mythology. Y'all have watched the Disney movie. So he could do things everyone else couldn't do, which meant if you had the strength of Hercules today, you could do things far beyond the normal person can do, right? So this, Paul is using the Ephesians' understanding of this word because the people of Ephesus were very superstitious people. They know these stories. So he's using this word to convey the idea that you have more than enough power to handle what comes your way today. Because the thing is, you think about what you have to deal with on an everyday life, you don't need the same power Hercules have. You said it'd be nice, but you don't need it. That's more than enough power. So what is Paul saying? You have more than enough power to handle what shows up in your life. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word power means force, strength, might, and dominion. Force, strength, might, and dominion. That word might means ability. So you don't just have your ability. It's good to use your ability. You should do things in your ability, but understand you don't just have your ability. You have the ability of the almighty God that you can tap into. So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Tap in to the ability of the almighty God. So something runs into you that you can't handle. Good. You have something on the inside. You have access to the power of the almighty God to handle whatever shows up in your life. So be strong on the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So yes, we know people are not our real enemies. 
But this word wrestle is very interesting because it's defined as a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other, and it's decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. It's a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other opponent. And it's decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. So this fighting what it's talking about, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This lets you know what your enemy is trying to do. It's trying to throw you and hold you down with their hand on your neck. That's what the enemy's trying to do. But that lets you know your goal too. To throw the enemy and have them. See, winning is winning a fight. Victory is when the enemy can't get up. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We talked a, lot, a little bit about this on Wednesday. And so notice the key word here in verse 12. It's against. Notice how many times you say, for we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This against five times. The emphasis is against. How many can see that? This word against means face-to-face -face combat. It's letting you know that in your everyday life, you are in face-to-face -face combat with an enemy you cannot see. And that shouldn't find very strange to us because here's an enemy that we can't see but we know is an enemy. COVID-19, that is an enemy. Anybody agree that is an enemy? How many of you can see it? No. But you take things you need to do to protect yourself from that enemy. So every day you know you're fighting an invisible virus you can't see. But if you can fight an invisible virus you cannot see, how much more you can fight an enemy that's been working behind the scenes longer than your entire life? Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. See, one of his biggest success tactics he's done in this generation is convince people he doesn't exist. That he's just a mentality or a figment of someone's imagination. No, there is a real devil. He has real demonic forces, and you're in face-to-face -face combat with them every single day. You have an enemy, and you're fighting against him. Now, something also, when it says rulers of the darkness of this world, one of the things I learned from Reverend Rick Renner, a Greek scholar, he said, this paints the picture of a force that is highly trained, highly organized, and highly disciplined. That Satan's forces are organized, and they're disciplined to come against you. And so within that, we've seen something that Satan has that sadly the church doesn't. Discipline. I'm coming for you today. Just say, I can handle it. Say, say, I can handle it. When it comes to your spiritual life, are you as disciplined as your enemy? Because he's coming for you. Are you disciplined to build your faith? Are you disciplined to get in that word? Are you disciplined to spend time in prayer? Are you disciplined to forgive everybody of everything? Are you disciplined to do what God has told you to do? Because your enemy is disciplined, but are you? Maybe the reason we haven't seen more victories is because we're not as disciplined. 
And when we think about fighters and boxers, they are disciplined in their training. Think about some of the greatest athletes of our day. They are disciplined. That although they're great, they still practice. Come on. We think about NBA. We think about LeBron James. He's fun to cheer against and cheer for, but he's still disciplined. You think about those who will be playing in the Super Bowl next week. They are disciplined. They don't go, oh, I made it to the Super Bowl. I'm not going to practice anymore. What? They are disciplined. Are you disciplined? Yes, this is the age of grace, but we still need Christian disciplines. We still need to be in the Word of God every day. We still need to pray every day. We still need to use our faith every day. Faith is not something we're supposed to use as a get-out-of-jail-free card or only use it when we're in emergency. Faith is a lifestyle. It says four different times the just shall live by faith. Don't just use your faith when you're in trouble. Learn how to use your faith every single day so when something shows up, you can handle it. Because it says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand or resist in the evil day, having done all to stand. What is the evil day? A day of trouble, a day of test, a day of trial. It's the day of attack. Also remember, the Ephesians were very superstitious, so he used a phrase they understood. It is a day of misfortune, or it's a day of a bad break, or what some people call, oh man, it was just an unlucky day. Now, he just told you it was the enemy who's attacking. And so there's some days, you know, everything's pretty normal. But there's some days it seems like everything breaks loose, that Satan threw everything at you and the kitchen sink. That's one of the days you would define as an evil day. But if you live the life God has called you to, and you live by faith, that even when the day of the bad break attacks or when Satan unleashes everything your way, you can withstand. This word withstand means resist. And what does the scripture tell us? Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. So you have no business running from the devil. The devil is not even in your class. We make too much of the enemy. He is an enemy, but he's not even in your class. So what do you mean, pastor, he's not in your class? You are born again. When you are born on the earth, you are born in the God class. What does Psalm 8 tell us? that he made us a little lower than himself. So when you were born naturally, you were born in a class above angels and demons. Remember, Satan is a fallen angel. Your class is already higher. But when you were born again, the greater one, the Holy Spirit of God himself, moved in on the inside of you. Satan is not in your class. It tells us in Romans 16 that God will crush Satan under your feet. If Satan gets higher than your feet, he is too high. You have an enemy, but he belongs under your feet. So he will raise his head up. He will try to do things. But don't be surprised that the enemy attacks. See, so many Christians are surprised when the enemy does something. Well, the enemy attacks. They forgot they had an enemy, and the enemy attacked. Think about it this way. If a boxer got into a ring, and they were surprised that the enemy threw a punch, you think that's not a very good boxer, right? How could a boxer be surprised that their opponent tried to punch them? That's how this thing goes, right? 
How can a Christian be surprised that the enemy tried to punch them? It's like, oh, I can't believe the enemy threw a punch. I got to go sit down somewhere. I can't believe Satan attacked. I can't believe something bad happened. I can't believe someone cussed me out. I can't believe that this challenge showed up. I can't believe the doctor said something. I can't believe I have this extra bill. I can't believe this happened. Oh, woe is me. What am I going to do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Fight. The good fight of faith. This lets you know attacks are coming. So be ready. If you're going to have the mentality of a champion, you have to know the enemy will throw a bunch, right? So that means you have to learn how to block and counterattack. You don't live on the defense, but you know an attack is coming, so you might as well prepare to swing back. You might as well learn how to block, how to deflect, and knock your enemy out. Because if you resist and fight, you will beat the enemy, and he will leave you for a season. That's what he did to Jesus. He came against Jesus after he had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was hungry. Some of you fast four hours, you hungry. Get kind of hangry too. Imagine 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan was throwing everything he had against Jesus. And Jesus fighting the enemy saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. That's how you fight the enemy. It is written. This is what the word says. This is what the word says. Which means you can't fight the enemy successfully if you don't know what this word says. So that means you had to get in this book yourself and say, no, 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 I'm not falling for this, for it is written. This is what the word has to say. This is what God has to say about it. So you're resisting the enemy. And what did he do to Jesus? He fled. It says he departed him for a season. So what happens as you resist the enemy, he will leave you alone, but he will come back. So here's what I need you to do. You need to have the mentality of a champion. The mentality of a champion. Where you know the enemy is going to attack but that's not the main focus of your life. You're focused on the goodness of God, the mercy of God, what he's called you to do. So you know there's an enemy, but you don't need to live enemy conscience. What I mean? Oh, the devil's out there somewhere. Pastor said he's going to throw a punch. Well, I expect a punch today. No. He will attack. That's just reality. But I'm not going to look for him. Because some people get overbalanced, and they get on one of the ditch and say, well, you know, there is an enemy out there, and everything that happens in their life they blame the devil for. So, oh, the devil's behind every rock. No, probably every other rock, but not every rock. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes we blame the devil for stuff. He says, I have nothing to do with that. You're bad all by yourself. So, yes, you do have an enemy. Yes, he does attack. But remember, you know how to win. So this means as a mentality of a champion, I know there are attacks coming. I know how to block. I know how to deflect, I know how to counterattack, and I'm not going to be surprised when the enemy tries something. And I'm not gonna be the person who just gives up because an attack came. You know, last week we talked about the stance. So that means if he attacks or you attack, you don't lose your balance. Cause some of us get overbalanced. Okay, cool, I'm gonna go against the enemy, good. I'm gonna be on the offensive, good. But because your stance is not right, you throw a punch and you fall out. You, the enemy didn't do anything. It was just you. He's just standing there. It's like, wow, you missed any on the ground. And we said in order to be able to have the right stance to fight the good fight of faith, we have to be planted in the word of God and in the love of God. We don't just speak the truth. We speak the truth in love. That what we do is grounded in the truth of God's word. We do not compromise the truth for anything. 
but in all are standing in the truth is standing in the love of God. And just because it's true doesn't mean you got to say it right now. Well, it's true. They didn't know the truth. Did you check in with the Spirit of God? Should I say something? Did you ask God, should I talk about, should I post this? Should I tweet this? Well, it's true. But it does say to speak what's true is to speak the truth in love. And there are sometimes the Lord will say, don't say anything. Or you may be talking to a person and it's very obvious what they're struggling with. But the Lord may not tell you to tell them that. He may have you address something else. Why? Because God knows what the root of the issue is. See, as humans, we're, dis we're distracted by fruit. God wants to go after the root. I remember one time when I was in Argentina, it's about a decade and a half ago, I was ministering there. The second time I was there, we were going, there was a big crusade happening the next day, and so we were going through all these neighborhoods to advertise the meeting. We're working under uh, Claudio Frazon. And so I remember I went to one house, so it's humid. I'm in somewhere close to the jungle. It is hot. It is humid. I thought I was new hot because of being in Georgia, but this was something else. And so I'm out there, and then I come up ministering to this gentleman, and, you know, normally there's different ways, you know, because, you know, I'm trained how to minister to people in America. And, you know, I have my American speech ready. And then one of the guys there said, Carrick, no, 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 this ain't America. Here's what I need you to do. And so I was like, doesn't take me long to learn. So I did it. And so when I go to meet this gentleman talking with him, I want to invite him to the meeting, that everybody else was responding to this new way I was ministering, but it didn't seem like he was as responsive. And so I'm listening on the inside. And the Lord said, tell him I haven't forgotten about him that I remember when he was a child how he used to do these things. And I'm telling this dude, this dude is bigger than me, taller than me, and as I'm talking to him, this giant dude just begins to break down and weep. No one's touched. I'm just talking to him what God is saying in my heart. And so what's the next thing I do? Yes, it's hot and sweaty. He's like, just come on in, God. Just come on. Come in for a hug. Saved. The whole family came to God. So the thing is, if we always address what we think we can see and what we think we can know, we won't have the victory we think we should have. We have to check in with the Spirit of God. What should I say? How should I handle it? Because on the inside, God knows what will need to be said that handles the root of the issue, but also what will echo in their mind for the rest of the day. What will come back to them while they're asleep. Remember, he is the Spirit of God, and he knows everything. So instead of just trying to fire off the truth, is the truth in love, and how do we do that? We check in with the Spirit of God. What should I say at this moment? Remember, even Jesus said, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. So the pattern of Jesus' life and ministry was always checking in with the Father. He said, well, he was a son of God, yes. But he still always checked in with the Father. And so if Jesus did it, how many know we should do it? So we need to have the mentality of a champion. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The mentality of a champion. So don't be surprised when the enemy throws a punch. And don't be focused on him either. Yes, he exists. Yes, you fight him every day. Don't give him glory and don't focus on him. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk or we live in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, which means having power to do something through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
So every weapon we have is mighty. Say, every weapon I have is mighty. The word mighty means having power to do something. And what does that power to do? To pull down or to cast down strongholds. That word pull down or cast down means demolition. Now, what are strongholds? As we shared in the last couple of weeks, strongholds is a castle, a fortress, or anything on which one relies. It is a castle or a fortress, anything on which one relies. A philosopher who advised one of the Roman emperors in the first century AD used this word to describe arguments that people would present that couldn't be defeated by another argument. So you can truthfully say that a stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. It can be a philosophy, a mentality, or even an identity. It may be an argument for a set course of actions. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, or has confidence in. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, or has confidence in. Which means there can be strongholds in your life that are determining how you act because you rely on it. You believe in it. You think about it all the time. And so with that, there are ungodly strongholds and they're godly strongholds. See, some of us have trouble doing what God tells us to do or believing God because of life experiences. And what we've experienced has caused us to believe something and developed a mentality that's against God's word. And so what do we have to do? We have to readily recognize when a mentality we have is against the Bible. And when we acknowledge, you know what, that thinking is not right, so I have to resist that way of thinking. How do I do it? By getting in the word using the weapons of a warfare. We have a list of weapons. One of it is the authority of the believer. So what do you do when a thought comes to your head that you know is against the Bible? Say, no, that's not my thought. I'm not thinking about that. No, I hold the blood of Jesus against that line of thinking. I'm not thinking that way. Because if it's a mentality or a stronghold, that means you're going to have thoughts like that every day, all throughout the day. So what do you do? Until you tear it down, you have to resist it all throughout the day for where it comes, let's say you start out with a thousand thoughts this way, eventually be down to a hundred. Eventually be down to 10, then to one. You keep resisting until it doesn't even show up. But as you resist it, you're tearing down the stronghold of the enemy, but you're building up a stronghold of God. So yes, you resist thoughts of, you know what? You're just gonna be broke all the days of your life. Your daddy was broke, your granddaddy was broke, your great grandma was broke, you could be broke too. That's a stronghold of the enemy. So you resist that thought, but then he began to build the stronghold. You know what? My God is a provider. The Bible says his name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. The Bible says he's El Shaddai, the one who has more than enough for me. The Bible says he supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. The Bible says God is able to cause all grace to abound towards me, so I have all sufficiency in all things, and I abound to every good work. So what are you doing? You're tearing down the lies of the enemy, saying you'll never have enough, and you're replacing it with the truth of God, saying I will have more than enough. We don't just tear down strongholds, we build up the right ones. So this quote I share with you on Wednesday, I got from Mac Hammond. He says, your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. Your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. So you need to build godly strongholds, godly mentalities, and enforce them. That means you have to take time outside of Sunday to build godly strongholds. 
It's good to be in church in person and online on Sunday, but how many know that's two hours compared to the rest of your week? And some of you spend more time on Netflix in one day than that. Enjoy your Netflix, but understand you're going to have to take some time to build godly strongholds. You're going to have to be in the Word. You're going to have to resist. You're going to have to be disciplined to build the right stronghold, and it takes time, which means you can't be discouraged if you have a bad day. People say, oh, I'm supposed to be in the Word every day, and you missed today. Oh, I'm going to quit. I missed today. I can't believe I missed today. Here's the secret. Don't miss two. Don't be discouraged because you missed today. How many know you're not perfect? How many realize it by now that you ain't perfect, that you got issues? There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are still working out a whole list of stuff. So that means there'll be days you will miss it. Just get right back up again and do what you need to do. So oh, God is mad at me. No, he ain't. Well, because I did something stupid, God turned his back on me. That is unscriptural. How I know that? God turned his back on Jesus so he would never have to turn his back on you. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? He was standing on Psalm 22. But at this moment, Jesus had separation, the only separation he's known in eternity from his heavenly father. So, well, why did God do that so he would never have to do it for you? See, whatever Jesus bore on the cross, we don't have to carry He bore our sicknesses, so we don't have to carry them. He bore our sin. That means we're supposed to resist it. So oh, this is just my cross to carry. Whoa, 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 pause. That's a lot of religion. Bull. You don't carry Jesus' cross. Why? Jesus carried it. Why are you trying to carry something he carried? You do have a cross to carry. And when you look at it through the scriptures, it's walking in love with unlovable people. That's your cross to carry, not what Jesus carried. Because if you could carry the cross of Jesus, you would not need a savior. Carry now your cross, not his. You can't even pick up his. Carry your cross, what is it? Walking in love, forgiving everybody of everything and doing what God's called you to do. Carry that cross. So you have no reason, it's like, well, because I did something wrong, that means I have to, you know, just, you know, God's mad at me, so I have to pay for what I did for the next 30 years. That's against the very core of Christianity. It says that Jesus paid the price for our sins. How many know that? That he paid the price for our sins. So if he paid the price for your sins, why do you have to pay for it? Well, pastor, you don't understand what happened in my life. You know, I made all these bad decisions, and now I got a record. So for the next 30 years, I have to deal with the effects of my sin. Whoa, that may be true in the natural. But Jesus paid the price for your sins. And if you turn to him, you repent it, and the blood washes away all your sins, you're now in a position to receive unprecedented favor. 
that although you have a record, for some reason the judge wants to show you favor. Although you have a record, the boss says, you know what, I still want to hire you anyways. You, they says, it doesn't make sense, but I want to show you favor. What happened? You have turned to Jesus. He's washed away your sins, and he can undo your record and all the bad things you've done. Pastor, you don't understand how many drugs I've taken and what I've done to my body. You don't understand about my liver. We serve the Jesus who can set you free from alcoholism and give you a brand new liver. Pastor, you don't know how many things I've smoked. You don't know my lungs. Jesus can set you free from that addiction, heal your lungs, and give you a brand new one. He's Jesus. Stop putting your faith in your past. Put your faith in the blood of Jesus. He can heal you, deliver you, preserve you, provide for you, and restore your life and give you a life that's better than you ever had or imagined. This is who he is. So put your faith in him and his plan for your life and not in your past. Stop bringing up your past. Jesus doesn't bring up your past, so why do you bring up your past? You might say, well, I've done this a thousand times. I need God, I need you to forgive me. This a thousand first times. Like, what are you talking about? The blood has washed away all your sins. See, King David didn't even have this. He said, how blessed is the man whom God covers his sins. The best he could think about, God covering it up. If it's covered up, it's still there. But God did David one better. I'm going to wipe it away. I'm going to wash it away. I'm going to obliterate it. So when you stand before God, after you repented, when you stand before God, he sees you as pure and as perfect as Jesus himself. He has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. You're a believer. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. Nothing you can do can change your righteousness. Well, what if I do some unrighteousness? It's not strong enough to change your righteousness. So what do you do when you sin, when you mess up? 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's nothing you can do that's bigger than the blood. What do you think you can do that's stronger than the blood? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our faith is in the blood, not in our actions. God loves you. Stop putting your faith in your conduct. Yes, you should live right. Your conduct should be holiness. But don't put your faith in your conduct. So, well, I did everything right yesterday, so God does want to talk to me this morning. God wants to talk to you regardless. So stop putting your faith in your conduct. Yes, live right, but don't put your faith in your ability to live right. Put your faith in his word, your faith in his blood, your faith in his spirit who lives on the inside of you. He said, well, pastor, I'm having a hard time wanting to do what's right. So if I'm honest, sometimes my prayers help me want to do what's right. Well, didn't God tell us through Paul that God lives on the inside of you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, which means the spirit of God is on the inside of you helping you to want to do what's right and helping you to do what's right. So sometimes you just need to pray, help me, Jesus. Help me. See, we need to stop being fake coming into the presence of God. It's like, I got all my stuff together. I'm good, Jesus. Just, you know, bless me, smile on me. No, God, help me. 
Help me to do what's right. Help me to love. Help me to forgive. Help me to treat that person right. Help me not to knock that person out. Help me to watch my mouth. Help me not cuss them out. Help me not to go backwards. Help me, Jesus. And here's where faith kicks in. I've asked and now I receive. Because the helper, his name is the comforter. He is the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of me. So I've requested that help. Now I receive that help. I'm not on my own ability. I have the ability of God. I have help. Because the helper is on the inside of you. So what did we just do real quickly? We took our focus off of our disability and put our focus on his ability. If you want to win in this life and have victory, you can't do it by yourself. You need the power of the Spirit of God. You need the anointing of God. You need the strength of God. You need the blood of Jesus. You need the Word of God. It's not about you. It's about Him. So put the focus on the right place. It's about Him and what He's done for you and what He's doing in you will do for you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. So put your faith in him. Put your focus in him. The mentality of a champion. Glory to Jesus. Go to Romans chapter 8 verse 31. Hallelujah. Say, I am developing the mentality of a champion. Come on, those of you watching line, put it in the chat. I am developing the mentality of a champion of a champion Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 we'll start with verse 31 what shall we then say to these things if God before us who can be against us in other words, say, if God before us, it does not matter who's against us. If God before you, and he is, who can successfully stand against you? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When God gave you Jesus, he gave you everything. So some of you are struggling to believe, well, how can I get the job that I need? When he gave you Jesus, he gave you the job. Say, so, well, I need wisdom. I don't understand. I don't have the right background. I don't have the right education. When God gave you Jesus, he gave you the wisdom. Well, I need favor. When God gave you Jesus, he gave you the favor. Well, I need a house. When God gave you Jesus, he gave you the house. When God gave you Jesus, he gave you healing. He freely gave it to you. When he studied out, the whole world belongs to you. It's yours. It doesn't belong to the enemy. It doesn't belong to people who serve the enemy. It belongs to the children of God. We are owners with stewardship responsibility. When God blessed you, he gave you everything. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, also making intercession for us. So just because people will try to remind you of your past, and try to hold you down, it is God who justifies, and it's Jesus who died for you and rose again. So when it all comes down to it, you will stand before God. And don't expect, if you're a believer, when you stand before God to go through the list of all the bad things you've done. Why? The blood. 
If the blood cleansed your sins on earth, why would God keep a record of your sins in heaven? So when you stand before him, the blood washed clean. All your mess. So when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, that's only for believers. Only believers stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That is reward time. That is based of all the things you did right. All the times you yielded to God and did what he said to do. Now, depending on how you live your life, you may have a little bit in that book or a whole bunch. But that's reward time. You know, you look at the New Testament, there's five different crowns believers can be given on that day. There are rewards and crowns and things God gives believers on that day. But it's not the time where he says, well, you know, remember when you were 25? You, you, mm, that, yeah, day 264, you have 25th year, that was a bad day. Let's, let's go down it real quick. Everybody else in line, it's going to take a moment. This is only year 25, we got some time. It's not going to do that the blood of Jesus who shall separate us from the love of Christ this word love means affection goodwill love and benevolence affection goodwill love and benevolence one of the things you know about the love of God there's also an action to it so it's not just oh God loves you no God it loves you and he's working things out in your life so this is not just saying okay he loves you this is love also in action so who so separate us from the love of Christ and what that love compels him to do? Shall tribulation, that's pressure, or distress or persecution, that's pressure brought by people, or famine or nakedness, that's lack, or peril or sword, that's danger. So what are those things in verse 35? Enemies. Tribulation is an enemy. Distress and persecution is an enemy. Famine and nakedness is an enemy. Danger is an enemy. So we resist all these things as the Bible tells us to. As is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Not saying that we are, but that's how people view us. So there's no way these Christians are going to win. They're sheep for the slaughter. And notice what Paul says, nay or no in all these things. What things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. In the midst of all those things, we are more than conquerors. Not just saying we're going to win and then, whoo. We won at the, because of that free throw. Man, at the buzzer, we got a really good shot in. We almost lost it all. No, that's not more than conquer. That means you just won. Whew. That's what I'm talking about. More than a conquer. It, where it's not even close. That if they were playing the game on television, you're beating them by so many points, it says nobody's watching anymore. Let's change the channel to something else. That's the victory God wants you to have where it's not even close. It is a blowout. Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. It's talking about the power of the enemy. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to have the mentality of a champion, you have to understand nothing can separate you from God's love. And what his love compels him to do in your life. He loves you. Say, God loves me. Come on, put it in the chat. Say, God loves me. See, to develop this mentality, you need to say it every day. You need to say it to yourself. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Then instead of saying me, you say your name. You say that throughout the day. Then you look at John 17, when Jesus said that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. See, a lot of you believe 
at least philosophically, that God loves you. But when you let it hit you down on the center, like, man, he, the creator of everything, the almighty God actually loves me. Even though I know he's forgiven my track record, but it was there. That he loves me on my worst day. And loves me on my, he loves me. But then take it a little bit farther, because we said, well, of course, God loves Jesus. Jesus was perfect. But he took it further. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. You have to say that again and again. What happens as you say that? It changes your mindset of how God sees you. And then you begin to put your faith in God's love for you instead of faith in your ability to do everything right. So yeah, this is going to work out for me because God loves me. Yeah, I don't know what to do right now, but he's going to show me because he loves me. So my faith is now building to expand this doorway to receive the grace he has for my life. It's now expanding to receive the victory he has for my life. Because now my confidence is not in my ability, but it's in his ability and his love for me. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12 and begin in here. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. You're watching online, put it in the chat. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. You know, one of the things in chapter 11, verse 12, Paul is giving his testimony of all the things he went through in his life. Now, you may have gone through some things, but you didn't go through what Paul went through. You may have, you know, a story that people won't even believe, but when you look at what Paul went through, you're like, ooh. Because, see, Paul writes about some things in chapter 11 that the book of Acts doesn't even share. So chapter 12, verse 7, and Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, let's give some context. Some people say, well, see, Paul was getting too high in his mind, so God gave him a messenger of Satan. Why would God give Paul, his man, a messenger of Satan? When we think about this outside of religious context, that doesn't make sense. The thorn in the flesh is a messenger of Satan. That word messenger is the same word that implying a demon. So would God give Satan a demon? No. So who sent the demon? Satan. So looking at this phrase, exalted above measure, Reverend Renner defines it as it speaks of a person who has been magnified, increased, and lifted up to a place of great prestige and influence. This phrase speaks of a person who has been magnified, increased, and lifted up to a place of prestige and influence. In other words, this person has been made famous. And because of his revelation and his obedience to God, Paul is famous, not only in the natural world, but also in hell. Well, how do you know that? Remember the book of Acts? When these seven warlocks got together and they tried to cast out a demon because they heard Paul do it? And so, you know, when you see the revival that happened in Ephesus and Paul's ministry there, he stayed there for two years. So everybody that lived in Ephesus and the surrounding area heard Paul preach at least once. That's modern-day Turkey. That whole nation heard Paul preach. It's amazing to think about the revival, what happened. And so these people were in the audience. They decided not to believe what Paul said, but they saw, well, they saw Paul cast out demons. 
and heal the sick. They said, well, if Paul can do it, we can do it. So they walk in to this demon-possessed man and say, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Come out. And the demon looked at him and he replied, Jesus, I know. What are you saying? I remember when Jesus came down to hell and whooped all of us. I know him. Paul, I know. That word know there means I've recently become acquainted with him. I've heard his name. We know who he is. But who is you? And the demon leapt and beat those seven men, took all their clothes, and they ran out the house bleeding and naked. Why? They had no authority. But one of the things that shows you is as Paul was doing what God called him to do, he was rising up in the spirit world where the enemy knows we know who he is. And he is a danger to us. We are concerned about that man. See, you should be famous in hell. Well, hell is concerned because you woke up again. Like, oh God, they're up again. Come on, you should be so famous that when hell, when you wake up, hell goes, they start becoming religious. Do you know demons can get religious? Did you know that? How many know that demons can get religious? Because it happened in Jesus' ministry. It says when they began to beg and implore Jesus, they start, it's almost like they're praying, come on, Jesus, look. Come on, we know you're God, just leave us alone. What happened? The authority of Jesus made the demon get religious. You should terrify hell. Just because you exist, you're a terror to him. That you wake up in the morning, the enemy attacks, not because he thinks he can win, but he's so frightened that you may take territory. And so Paul was that way. And so Satan said, we're going to have to send somebody to stop him. That word, buffet, means to hit again and again and again. So we're going to send somebody that can hit him again and again and again. What's the purpose of hitting again and again? So he quits. So he gives up. And Paul lists the attacks of the enemy. Go to chapter 11 real quick. Just a page over or a swipe over. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak of for I am more. Notice he begins to tell what he's went through. In labors are working more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in death or in danger of dying often. Of the Jews, five times were I received I forty stripes save one. Which means five different times I was beaten with lashes thirty-nine times. Forty times was a death sentence. So he says, five different times I was beaten to an inch of my life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now the thing is, you see this in the book of Acts, where they took him outside of the city, threw rocks at him till he stopped moving and died and left them there. And the disciples got around him and Paul got back up and left early the next morning to go to the next city to even take a day off. Notice his mentality here. I suffered shipwrecked a night I suffer shipwreck. That's enough for a lot of us to never get on a boat again. He says, a night and a day I was in the ocean floating. He was in the ocean for a full day. It doesn't say Paul knew how to swim, but he's in the ocean a full day because of the attack of the enemy. 
and journeys often in danger of waters, in danger of robbers, in dangers of my own countrymen, in dangers by the heathen, in danger in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among Christ, false Christians, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings and hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Besides all of those things that are without, that come upon me daily, the care or the anxiety that's pressed upon me because I care for all the churches. So when you look at this, this sums up Mark chapter 4, the affliction, persecution, and the cares of this world. Three attacks of the enemy. What is Satan describing? Everything that demon sent his way. Now go back to chapter 12, verse 7. For this thing, that messenger of Satan, I asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He said, well, at least Paul knew where to go. So God, get this demon away from me. God, get this demon away from me. God, get this demon away from me. And he said it three times, and the Lord didn't answer. But on the third time, he said unto him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now remember we said grace has 21 different definitions. So grace here in this verse is defined as the supernatural, miraculous power of God. It is the supernatural, miraculous power of God. And when people hear the word sufficient, they think, okay, God's power is enough for us so we can get through in this life. So when you see the word sufficient, how many say, well, it's enough? How many say that's what it's defined as? But that's a limited definition of what that word means. That word sufficient means to be enough against any danger. It means to defend. It means to ward off. It presents the idea of raising a barrier. It means to be enough against any danger, to defend, to ward off. He presents the idea of raising a barrier. So what did God tell him? My grace, my supernatural power is a wall. So you're asking me to deal with it, and I already did. I gave you grace like a wall. I gave you grace like a defense. I gave you power to handle it. And Paul got it. That's why he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, that means boast and rejoice, in my infirmities. That word means weakness. It describes a person who feels weak, distressed, unsettled, or needy. This word weakness, this infirmity, one who describes, feels as weak, distressed, unsettled, or needy. So most gladly will I rejoice in my weaknesses when I feel needy, when I'm unsettled or distressed. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The anointing, the grace. So on the days where it seems like it's a lot, Father, I thank you that you're more than enough. On the days when I feel like crying and giving up, Father, I thank you that you're more than enough. On the days when it seems too much, Father, I thank you that grace is the wall. What happens? As I'm doing this, the power is coming on me to handle whatever I'm facing. Whatever dare to show up in my life today, you're more than enough. So I'm more than enough. I'm not more than enough because of my ability or how smart I am. I'm more than enough because the one who's more than enough lives on the inside of me. Greater is he who is in me 
than he who is in the world, which makes me greater than anything I'll ever face in this world by association alone. The greater one's in you. He's made you greater than whatever you face. So Paul understood this. So therefore I take pleasure or I think well of when I'm in weaknesses or feeling needy and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I made strong. So I acknowledge I can't do this by myself. I'm weak, I'm needy, I'm distressed. I don't got this. So now instead of focusing on what I don't got, I look at the one who has everything. The one who sits on the throne but also lives in my heart. Father, I thank you because what your word says. I thank you that you deliver me. I thank you that you set me free. I thank you that you heal my body. I thank you that you always cause me to triumph. I thank you that you give me the victory. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that you are enough. And as I'm focused on that, the power of God will strengthen you and come upon you and enable you to handle it. That's how you tap into the power. It's choosing to thank God every single day. It's choosing to be covenant-minded. It's developing the mentality of a champion. We don't have time to get into today, but a lot of us know the story of David and Goliath. We'll get into him next month. David was a shepherd boy, although he was anointed to be king. He's a teenager at this point, taking care of the shepherd, taking care of the sheep, and his dad said, I want you to go deliver this food for your brothers. So this day, David's not a shepherd. He's Uber Eats. He's going to the battlefield to see how his brothers are doing and to bring food for him and their commander. And while he was there, Goliath, this nine-foot-tall giant. Come on, I've seen some NBA players up close, and they're huge. But Goliath was two feet at least taller than some of them. Huge comes out and all Israel gets afraid and he makes the same deal he's been making for 40 days how about this if you can take me down then all the Philistines will follow you but if I take down your champion you all have to serve us and he's been making the same challenge for 40 days and David this teenager this shepherd boy Uber Eats deliverer just happens to be there and he said what's this guy doing so he's been doing it for 40 days and then someone says, you know, the king says that whoever takes down Goliath, he'll get to marry the princess. He'll be tax-free, and he'll make him rich. And David's like, you know, I've been with those sheep way too long. This sounds good. Wait a minute. So, and then you see the scripture went and asked them again. So what happens to the man that takes down Goliath? They said he gets to marry the princess, he becomes tax-free, and it, the king will make him rich. Then what did David reply? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? So David, in this instance, you see he's reward motivated. He's taking down the giant because of the reward, right? But when we see the phrase uncircumcised Philistine, to us, doesn't mean much. But to David and those who live in that time, what does it mean? A person who has no covenant. Circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign of the covenant was a sign of the covenant promises, that they're in covenant with God and God's in covenant with them. That when you're in covenant, the parties become one. That what one party does for the other, the other party is expected to do so. 
And so if you, back in those days, if you had a covenant was made between a group of farmers and warriors, the warriors can't grow food for nothing, and the farmers can't fight for nothing. So they would come together, and they said, we are one, which means the farmer said, we'll make sure you eat before we eat. And the warrior said, we'll fight for you before we fight for ours. We are one. And so this covenant mentality, the farmers always expect the warriors to show up. And the warriors always expect the farmers to bring food. They're in covenant. And so David is saying, I have a covenant. And then he stood before King Saul, and he says, the same God who delivered the lion into my hands and the bear into my hands will do the same thing to this giant. He called on his track record with God. The same covenant-keeping God that delivered him from a lion and delivered him from a bear. He says, this giant is going down too. What was David? Covenant-minded. He knew his covenant promised him victory. See, David wasn't the first person to take down a giant in the Bible. When he said, yeah, Moses took down a giant. See, a lot of us think about Moses, the old man on the mountain, but we didn't see the battle scene when he took a sword and took down a giant. But when you study it out, and I'll share more in February, that the children of Esau took down giants. They did. The children of Lot took down giants. And now we see the children of Abraham facing giants, just like they did in Joshua's day. And the thing they all had in common was Abraham, who God made a covenant with. So when we look at the scripture, God fully expects his people to take on giants, to take on situations that are impossible and win because he has blessed them and given them a covenant. So you may be looking at stuff in your life this week that's too big for you. You have a covenant and you're blessed. If you want to take it on, you need to become covenant-minded. You need to know what God has promised you, what God has said to you, what God has said about you, and put your faith in what God said he'll do in you and through you and say, you know what? This giant will fall too. You see, a giant was not just a personal issue. It was a national issue. Remember, he's empowered you to handle things that are bigger than you. That means you may face something this week that is bigger than you, bigger than your family. It is a community issue. But because you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and because you have a covenant and you're developing a mentality of a champion, you're just like, you know what? I will face it and I will handle it. Not because I know all the stuff that I've done, but I know who he is and what he has done. So we don't run from the challenge. We don't run from the devil. We face him head on. What did David do? He ran at Goliath. Goliath is running at him. This nine-foot-tall dude is running. Come on, you know the earth is moving as this big fella is coming at you. Everybody has ran away. David is running at the giant. But he's also saying, I'm going to take you down. Never run at your giant with your mouth closed. Never run at your giant with your mouth closed. You need to open your mouth and say what God said. You need to open your mouth and declare the promises of God. You need to open your mouth and remind yourself about the blood of Jesus and the victory God has given to you. You need to open your mouth and speak what thus saith the word of God. Then you take the giant down. And then notice what David did next. He picked up the giant's sword and cut off his head with his own sword. Just a moment. How many got like one minute more? One minute more. 
Think about that sword. It was made in the camp of the enemy for the purpose of oppressing the people of God. It was designed to hurt the people of God. It was designed to take the people of God down. Satan and his people had crafted it to hold the people of God down. But God took a situation that was created to take his people down and turned it for their deliverance. So there are some things that have been crafted and made in the camp of the enemy to take you down, to hold you back, to destroy you. But God is the God who can turn it around and cause it to be for your good. He's the God who can turn things around for you and he has a habit of doing it suddenly. That all day it looked like it was going to be bad, but suddenly it turned around. For years it looked horrible, but suddenly it turned around. This is who he is. And that's what he wants to do for you. Give you suddenlies and turn things for your good. And you'd be like Joseph says, although you meant it for evil, but God turned it for my good. Yeah, look bad, but God. Yeah, they counted me as sheep for the slaughter, but God. But on all these things, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Yeah, it looked bad, but God. Yeah, I know what the doctor said, but God. Yeah, I know what my bank account said, but God. I know what they said about my children, but God. I know what they said about my life, but God. I know what they said about this community, but God. Develop this mentality. Challenge the devil on his territory and win. This is your year of winning and victory. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. Stand to your feet. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus forevermore. Glory to Jesus forevermore. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you, you condemn in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of God. That's what the scripture says. Your heritage is victory. So the weapon will be formed. The weapon will fire. It may impact, but it can't do what it was intended to do. That's your heritage. That's what God has given you. Yeah, there may be a lot of words spoken over you. Just don't agree with them. So they said, oh, you can't do this. I just, I don't agree with that. Well, don't you know what that witch and warlock said? I don't agree with that either. Well, don't you know what the news said about it? I don't agree with that either. What do I agree with? With thus saith the word of God. I believe. I believe. You know, a man of God once said, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. So yeah, you might say, well, pastor, I got a lot of problems. But faith in God overcomes every single one. Every single so develop the mentality of a champion. You're on the winning side. Thanks be to God who always causes you to triumph. Thanks be to God who always gives you the victory. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our Faith experience, we believe 
believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.